Get a jump start on 2024 in a new Kia from Robert Brogdon's Olathe Kia. Shop their large selection, including the new Sorento, Nero, and Soul models. You'll score big with low prices, trade assist cash, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit OlatheKia.com. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. It is Friday, and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 150 Metcalf in Overland Park. Or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift on ESPN Kansas City, they will give you a $10 gift card to Starbucks to use use on whatever you would want. Coffee, tea, breakfast items, it's your $10. So all you got to do is call that number at 913-649-2002 and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift. We've spent the entire week diving into this Chiefs and Bengals game. We've dove into bulletin board material. We've dove into the numbers, the stats, the predictions, Patrick Mahomes' health, what it means in a round four matchup. But the one thing we really hadn't had the chance to dive into was what the Chiefs were saying. We bought a bulletin board material, but 95% of it was on Cincinnati's side. Burrowhead. The Burrowhead really took over in terms of bulletin board material. You've got confident players on that side. Joe Mixon saying they are the top dogs of the AFC. And the Chiefs had pretty much been quiet until yesterday. And until their linebacker in Willie Gay was asked a few questions about the upcoming game. Now, I'll leave it up to you, the listener, to determine whether this is trash-talking or this is just him giving his opinion. So here is Willie Gay yesterday when asked about the Cincinnati Bengals. How excited are you to get another crack at Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead on Sunday? I'm very excited. I'm excited every time we step on the field, man. But uh, definitely, you know, this opportunity to play this team again, I'm very excited and ready to roll physical team. They ran the ball very well last week. What kind of challenge is that for you and Nick Bolden and the rest of the linebackers? Just prove that we can stop the run and you know we 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 built for it, you know, and uh we're excited to go through about about this week and uh prepare for it and try to stop them as much as we can. All that trash talk coming from over there, does that does that fire you up and get you motivated when they call Arrowhead Burrowhead or how do how do you handle this? Uh I'm just excited to be playing football, man. That stuff is just what comes with the game, you know. Uh, we, like Coach Reed said, we don't do no talking. We just go handle business when it's time to go. What is it about that Bengals offense that maybe impresses you the most? You played them a few times? Nothing. Okay. Right. So there's Willie Gay talking with 810's very own Stephen St. John and Nate Bucati. When asked about what impresses him about the Bengals offense, Willie Gay says nothing. I know there's going to be people out there that say, but that's not trash talking, right? He's not going to go and kiss the ass of the Bengals' offense, and especially when he doesn't like a lot of the players on that team. I don't know, though, because that Bengals' offense thrashed you 
last time out. The defense was horrible against the Bengals in the regular season matchup at Paycor Stadium. And especially, it was Willie Gay and Nick Bolden being picked on in zone coverage. Joe Burrow went right after the middle of the field, targeting Willie Gay, targeting Nick Bolton. You know, I really think it's one thing if Chris Jones were to go out there and say, you know, the Bengals' offensive line, or there's nobody that really can stop me. I mean, I could understand it because Chris Jones very well could win Defensive Player of the Year. There's been very few offensive lines that have been able to stop him. Now, he doesn't have a postseason sack, so maybe he would stay a little bit more humble in that regard. I just have a hard time stomaching Willie Gay saying there's nothing that impresses him about the Cincinnati offense, especially when you were the one that was targeted a lot. If Willie Gay, in that matchup at Paycor Stadium, sacked Joe Burrow once, picked him off, you know, was targeted six or seven times, allowed one catch for five yards, then yeah, by all means, say they don't impress you because you dominated against that offense. Problem was, this defense didn't dominate against the Bengals' offense. And we'd almost made it to the end of the week. We really had. We made it to Thursday and felt like, all right, the Chiefs seem to be laser-focused, all business, and I still think they are. But they've been very quiet. And we'd even spent, you know, 10, 15 minutes on the show every single week kind of giving kudos to the Chiefs of just saying, hey, they're not falling for the bait. They're not falling for the burrow head bait. They're staying focused, quiet, head down. They got to go out there and beat the Bengals on Sunday. And that doesn't change that. This doesn't change that. Now, Willie Gay having a few choice words is not going to absolutely dictate how the Chiefs play on Sunday. He's got confidence, he's got swagger, and he's one of the leaders of this defense. I just think it's so ironic. And, Marco, I'm curious of your thoughts. I think it's so ironic that over the course of this Patrick Mahomes era, from 2018 to today, let's go, the side that has talked the most crap has been the defense. Always has been. Seemingly always will be. Despite the offense being the number one scoring offense in football. Now, I do recall time when Tyreek Hill, before the AFC Championship game against Tennessee, said there is nobody that can lock up the offense. But then they went out and scored 35 points. They could back it up on the field. Sometimes when the defense is talking smack, giving bulleted more material, going, what are you doing? This defense is mediocre at best. There are stars on that defense. I think Chris Jones and Legereus Sneed. But there's a lot of guys out there that are not above the other when looking at opposing teams. They're not the best cornerback at their position. They're not the best linebacker at their position. Best safety. Best nose tackle. Now, Chris Jones is the best nose tackle in football when Aaron Donald's not on the field. The Chiefs do not have the best edge rusher in football. And if you have a guy that's the best in the league at his spot, they can talk as much crap as they want. Willie Gay is not the best linebacker in the NFL. He may have the confidence that he is, I just would have hoped for a very quiet week on the Chiefs' side. You can have confidence, you can have swagger, but keep it reserved. Keep it in the locker room. Andy Reid doesn't like it when his players are are mouthing off to the media because it's a distraction. right? We saw yesterday Willie Gay's clip be put on Barstool. So you have these, 
these moments in the week where reporters, media members will try to bait you into saying something that'll be a viral clip. And they asked Jamar Chase about Willie Gay's comments, and he basically said, I have no words for him. And that's exactly how you should respond to something like that. The Bengals, despite saying Burrowhead and their defense doing the majority of the talking, they kind of want to keep their heads down as well. They don't want to have any reason. They don't want to give any reason for this Chiefs crowd, this Chiefs team, to be even more fired up than they already are. I mean, you need to check your pulse if you're not going to be ready to go for this game. That's what we also need to hammer in at this point. Now, the Chiefs and the Bengals already have the adrenaline, the energy, the juice to play in this game. Talking smack really isn't going to give that much of an advantage, but it's a narrative going into the game. You know, it's a little bit humiliating if your linebacker goes out and says, there's nothing that impresses me about this offense, and the Bengals go in, win at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday, and hang 30 points. You know, because then it's going to be all over social media. It's going to be all over the news, all over ESPN, all over NFL Network. I don't know. I just part of me wishes that the Chiefs stayed completely quiet this week. Don't need to lean into an underdog mentality because now you're favored once again. That line has shifted a hell of a lot. And though they were a two and a half point favorite, a one and a half point favorite, it was a pick em, it was the Bengals minus one. Now it's Chiefs minus one. But this week, I just would have enjoyed seeing the Chiefs stay very quiet, stay very focused, not worried about what Cincinnati's saying. Let Cincinnati do all the talking because, in all honesty, they've earned that right to do the talking. They've beaten you three times in a row. They should have that confidence to beat you again. They've eliminated you in the postseason. We've said this before. We'll say it again. They are the Chiefs' boogeyman. And the Chiefs going into this game understand they have to face their fears head on. Maybe they fear the Bengals, maybe they don't. But when you're 0-3 against the team, you understand that uh, it is a pressure-filled type of game. You can't lose a fourth consecutive time and expect to be the king of the AFC. You're no longer the king of the AFC. Hell, right now you may need to grab that crown back because the Bengals did win the AFC last year. Not super put off by what Willie Gay said. It's not like he went out there and said, this Bengals team is terrible, we're going to smack him around the field. He just said there's nothing that's impressive. Now, to take the the opposing side of that, for somebody that says that's not that bad of what he said, you know, you could say a lot worse things about the Bengals. If you target one player, say Joe Burrow's not as good as people says he is. You know, Jamar Chase isn't that good of a receiver. T. Higgins, not that good of a receiver. Joe Mixon, not that good of a running back. You call a player out, that really ignites a fire under that player. Now, Willie Gay could simply be saying, there's nothing that's super impressive about this offense. They're still very good, but there's nothing that shocks me, that wows me. And maybe you do want your defense saying that. If your linebacker or quarterback is going, this is the best offense I've ever seen, they are nearly unstoppable when they get going, they're tough to hang with down the field, their offensive line is very physical, then maybe you go with the mentality of you lost the game before you've already played it. And Willie Gay just trying to take the mentality of, hey, there's nothing that shocks me. We've played him three times in a row. There's nothing that impresses me about it. They're very good, but there's nothing they have that I haven't seen before. They don't have a wow factor to them. The Chiefs offense has a wow factor. Maybe he believes the Bengals don't have a wow factor. They're just damn good. Marco, where do you stand on, on this side of Willie Gay's comments? Are we making too big of a deal of it? Are you upset the Chiefs didn't really keep their head down? Or are you going, hey, there's nothing wrong with what Willie Gay said. 
because, you know, he doesn't need to go out there and kiss the ass of Joe Burrow and the Bengals. At the same time, though, you probably should have stayed quiet when you're 0-3 against this said team and you were targeted the most of anybody on that defense when you played early on in the regular season. Where do you stand with Willie Gates' comments of not being that impressed with the Bengals' offense? Uh, it's football. Um, I think that I. it's not the first time we've heard a player, um, I wouldn't say belittle. I don't think he belittled anything here. Um, it's not the first time that a defense has given bulletin board material to an opposing team that's had their number. Um, in fact, we see teams that have other have their have have their have their opponent's number, but yet still play as the underdog uh, in, in in certain situations like this. So. I don't have a problem with it being said because it's it, it it was getting I wouldn't say it was getting too quiet on the Chiefs side, but things were quiet and some something like you said we almost got through a whole week where nothing could have nothing had been said until yesterday. I'm not saying something needed to be said. But it's good that they're not gonna. That it's good knowing the players aren't just sitting there and, I guess, allow. They're not just gonna sit there and allow the Bengals to have all the bark. Now, ninety-five percent of the now ninety-five percent of the garbage is coming from the mouths of Bengals players. But hey, in sports, that's what makes sports great. Is this trash? Is the trash talking? And if we're going to call this a rivalry, which it's been called a rivalry, even though I don't see it as a rivalry because of your point, 0-3 against a team, um, you got you got you got you got to you got to show some defense. And you know what? The Chiefs do do it by letting the talk on letting the talk speak for itself out there on the football field or um, just playing it cool at the podium. Uh, but I, I I like it. Uh, I like I like I like where I like Willie Gay just kind of putting it out there. He didn't he didn't he didn't add on to it though. He didn't add on to uh, what 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 he had said in a negative light. Um, so I I got no problem. When we're this close to game day at this point. Talk is cheap anyway to me. I I the Bengals could use this for bulletin board or not. Um, but if they really needed someone on the Chiefs to say something in order to get them uh pumped for this game on Sunday. Uh, I think that I would I would think that um that's that, that's that, that's pretty that, I'd feel pretty bad for Cincinnati if they needed talk to get ready for this game and the same for the Chiefs. If they needed that smack talk in order to be ready for Sunday then it's like were you really ever ready to play for Sunday's game? So to me the talk is cheap. It's a matter of what's going to be out there on the field and Tim Grunhardt said it today at, towards the end of the sh- uh final hour on the board patrol. At, when Willie Gay gets out of that field and makes that tackle, no one's going to be talking about what he said on Thursday. So um, it's going to be forgotten. It may become up. It may, it may reappear back again, like some of the like some of the like trash talk does, um, depending on who wins the game. But um, that's that's all part of the risk of putting it out there in the first place. But the players know that. Yeah, I think the good thing about this is that Willie Gay is one of the better defenders for the Chiefs. It's not like you have some. You know, second stringer or some rookie, right? Going out there and bad mouthing the the Bengals offense because Willie Gay has a lot of history with this said team. I will say this: I like it more if coming from Willie Gay than Justin Reed, though. There you go. Uh, and, and also, though, I feel like we got to point out 
the elephant in the room here with Justin Reed, he's been pretty damn good, <laughs> even before that Cincinnati game. Like Justin Reed's been one of the better safeties in football, and I did not envision that coming four weeks into the season, and especially after that Bengals loss. But uh, I think you bring up a great point. If you want somebody talking smack to the Cincinnati Bengals, you want to have faith that that guy can back it up. Willie Gay can back it up on the field. However, that Bengals offense targeted him a hell of a lot more than his teammates on the field and that regular season matchup in Cincinnati. Can he hang with a guy like Hayden Hurst, who didn't practice yesterday? Can he hang with Joe Mixon in the flat? What positions is Steve Spagnuolo going to put him in? A lot of coverage plays. He's going to bring him in a blitz. Is his job going to be slowing down Joe Mixon in the running game? I mean, man, talk can be cheap. And here's the thing. The Chiefs and Bengals both understand they have confident players on both sides of the ball. They're going to have guys that talk smack that's never going to change. You don't want a player to change their personality, their identity. Like Eli Apple is going to be a loudmouth for his entire career. He's the Patrick Beverly of the NFL. Just kind of pesky, not that great of a player, but he can get in your head. Eli Apple's never going to stop talking. He's never going to back down from talking. Mike Hilton's going to talk a lot of crap. You know, guys like Chris Jones, Willie Gay, maybe even Justin Reed from time to time, they're going to continue to talk smack unless Andy Reed tells them point blank, shut up. Don't go, don't go out there and say anything to the media. we got to handle our business, business on the field. We're old school. We need to treat this game just like any other game. Got to have that same intensity. So what side do you stand on? Uh, maybe you really liked Willie Gay's comments. Maybe you don't read too much into it. Maybe you say that's a horrible look going into this game, especially when that offense carved you up in all three meetings. But if Willie Gay can go out there and back it up on the field, well, then we can revisit this on Monday and say how badass it was that Willie Gay said, hey, that offense wasn't impressive to me, and the Bengals go out and don't impress on Sunday. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, let's preview some of the Big 12 SEC matchups. Kansas will be on the road in Lexington to take on Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Kansas State will be at home to take on Florida, the Keontae Johnson game, as many have been calling it. We'll get into that next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. If you love college basketball, you could watch it all day tomorrow if you wanted to. And if you're a fan of Big 12 basketball, it makes it even better. The Big 12 SEC Challenge starts tomorrow at 11, and the final game will be played at 7. So it'll be Auburn, the 15th-ranked Tigers, at 16-4 and on the road in Morgantown, taking on 12-8 and West Virginia. That'll tip off at 11 a.m. on ESPN. At 1 p.m. on ESPNU, it'll be Texas Tech, who is still winless in conference play, 10-10 and on the season, going up against the LSU Tigers, who are 12-8 and on the year. They also are in a massive losing streak. Right now, Texas Tech is on a brutal slide. They have not won since December 27th. 
against South Carolina State. An ugly, ugly eight-game stretch, I believe. It's been maybe nine, actually. They are just in a hole right now that seems insurmountable. They can't get out of this this rut they've been in. Pop Isaac's now a little bit banged up. It's a Texas Tech team that has just dealt with a lot of injuries, but now 0-8 in conference play, 10-10 and overall. They still do not have a road win. 0-4 on the road this season for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. They will get their chance to go up against LSU in Baton Rouge. As for the Tigers, they have not won since the day after Tech won their last game, December 28th against Arkansas. They have lost to Kentucky, A&M, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Arkansas since that point. Now, a very brutal stretch they've had. They played Alabama and Tuscaloosa, Auburn, who was 16 at the time at home, Tennessee, who was number 9, and just recently lost to Arkansas in Fayetteville. So Red Raiders 10-10, and LSU 12-8. and That'll tip off at 1 p.m. on ESPNU. Iowa State, who just recently took down Kansas State names, they'll be on the road in Columbia against the Missouri Tigers, who are 15-5. and That'll tip off again at 1 p.m. on ESPN2. The Tigers coming off a win at Ole Miss, 89-77. As for Iowa State, they are 3-2 and over their last five with losses to Kansas and Oklahoma State. But the Cyclones right now atop the Big 12 at 6-2, and one of the better defensive teams in the conference, and they certainly will have their hands full with that Missouri offense. Number two, Alabama, 18-2, and will be on the road in Norman against the 11-9 and Oklahoma Sooners. That'll also tip off at 1 p.m. on ESPN. No spread coming out in this game yet, but I'd imagine it'll be a heavy favorite in, on the side of Alabama, who has just been tearing it up in SEC play. 18-2 and on the year. Their only losses coming to UConn back on November 25th and Gonzaga. So top 25 losses for Alabama, but... Since losing to Gonzaga, they've beaten Jackson State 84-64, Mississippi State 78-67, Ole Miss by 22, they beat Kentucky by 26, they beat Arkansas by 15, they beat LSU by 40, they beat Vanderbilt by 12, they beat Missouri by 21, and they just recently had a thrilling nail-biting game against Mississippi State at home, but won that by three. So Crimson Tide, unless they overlook Oklahoma, should be able to handle the Sooners with ease. A very interesting and intriguing matchup will be at 3 p.m. on ESPN following that Oklahoma-Alabama game. It'll be Arkansas and Baylor in Waco. Baylor coming off their win against Kansas on Tuesday. Arkansas coming off their 20-point win over LSU on Wednesday. So Bears and Razorbacks tipping off at 3 p.m. on ESPN. Bears are now suddenly very, very hot. After starting the year 0-3 in conference play, they have won five in a row and most recently beat uh, Big 12 favorite Kansas in Waco. TCU, 11th in the country, will be on the road in Starkville against Mississippi State. That will also tip off at 3 p.m. on ESPN2. Florida will be on the road in Manhattan, taking on fifth-ranked Kansas State, coming off their loss to Iowa State. This is probably the best game on the slate. Number 10, Texas, on the road in Knoxville against number 4, Tennessee. Both teams 17-3. and That'll tip off at 5 p.m. on ESPN. Kansas will be at Rupp Arena, number 9 in the country. Unranked Kentucky at 14-6. and That'll tip off at 7 p.m. on ESPN. And another tip off at 7 p.m. on ESPN, two will be Ole Miss on the road against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. But as we told you before the break, 
Let's dive into these games for Kansas and Kansas State. We'll start it off with the game that will be first on the docket, Kansas State and Florida. Kansas State is hosting a Florida team that's not overwhelmingly impressive when looking at their record. They're 12-8 and right now, I would probably say, on the fringe, on the bubble of the NCAA tournament, they'd really need to catch fire and maybe not lose more than four more games. I think if you're in the SEC and you lose 12 to 13 games, you're likely not getting in at that point. Unless you had some legitimate top 25 wins. You find a way to knock off Alabama. You find a way to knock off Kentucky, though they're not ranked, but it's still beating Kentucky. You find a way to knock off Auburn. Uh, You find a way to hang with Arkansas if they get back into the top 25. So you have some matchups that you could put yourself back into consideration of making the NCAA tournament, and that could start on Saturday against Kansas State. Now, looking at Florida, uh, if you want to point out a few things they do really well and do very poorly, the best thing about Florida is they have a fantastic postgame, and they are great at defending around the rim. They are third in the nation and block shots per game. Where does K-State struggle? Scoring in the paint. They don't have much of a post presence in Naquan Tomlin. Who knows if David Gasson is healthy? But Florida can get their points down low, and they also can make teams shoot less than 30% from around the rim. They're that good. They have that much size. But they're not a very high-scoring team. They don't score at a high clip or a high volume. Right now, the Gators are just 225th in points scored. Points per game, they're 158th. Field goal percentage, they're 211th. So Florida's not going to wow you offensively, but they get into a game that they like to play. Rock fight, aggressive, physical, low scoring. That's their style of play. Now, Florida was kind of dead in the water five games ago. And they went on a stretch of winning four or five. They beat LSU and Baton Rouge. They beat Missouri at home. They barely lost to A&M, who's been a pleasant surprise this year, 54-52. They beat Mississippi State in Starkville, 61-59. And recently beat South Carolina, 81-60. And remember, that's that same South Carolina team that took down Kentucky at Rupp Arena a couple of weeks back. Kansas State is not going to be going into this game overlooking them. I know you have Kansas on Tuesday. But I'm sure that Jerome Tang and what he's shown this season is not going to have the Wildcats unprepared. But Florida is a tough out as a 12-8 team. I think if this game was in Gainesville, I would lean a little bit more toward Florida. But this could be a similar type of matchup in the way that Oklahoma State was for Kansas State. Not in terms of size, but I could see Florida hanging around in the first half, making things interesting in the second half, maybe having a lead with less than 10 to go. But when it's all said and done, K-State has a guy by the name of Marquise Noel, has a guy by the name of Keontae Johnson that can outscore Florida down the stretch. Where Florida needs the big bucket, you know, K-State's going on a run, they don't really have that guy that can be their go-getter. You know, their best player, and we've seen in the last couple years at Florida, is Colin Castleton. He is the reason Florida is so good in the post, averaging 15 points a game, 7 boards, shoots about 49% from the floor. But he really gets his numbers, usually double-doubles, against top teams on the road. No, against Texas A&M, he gave him 14-13. and 13. Against Missouri, gave him 16-13. and 13. You know, against Auburn, that was probably one of his 
his lesser games against a top 25 team. Only gave him six points and eight boards. But then you go to that matchup that he had back on December 21st, you know, giving them a double-double with 21 points. So Florida, you know, early on in the season, they had their hiccups. They had their hiccups to make you believe that they were not going to be a team that could be hanging around there by the end of February and maybe into early March. They lost to Florida Atlantic. They lost to Xavier on the road. They lost to West Virginia by nearly 30. And a West Virginia team that's hanging around the bottom of the conference and a West Virginia team that Kansas State has already beaten. They lost to UConn. They lost to Oklahoma. They lost to Auburn and A&M. And you went, okay, they're probably out. They went through a stretch where they were 1-4 and four with their only win coming against Ohio from December 7th to December 28th. So pretty much the entire month of December, Florida wasn't very good. But when they turned it over to 2023... Something flipped for them. And they have had some very good games offensively. You put up 82 on Georgia. You put up 73 against Missouri. You put up 81 on South Carolina. So they can run into a couple of games where they're great offensively. But typically in those games, it takes a great performance from Colin Castleton. He had 18 in the last go-around when playing South Carolina. They also got 14 from Riley Kugel. And their starting five had four or five guys at double figures. Then off the bench, uh, Kawasi Reeves, I believe it's or Kawachi Reeves, had 15 points on 12 shots. So a little bit of bench production for the Gators. And maybe that is the, the must, the necessity for Florida going in against Kansas State. You have to have double-digit production off your bench. You have to have somebody that can give you 10 or 12. Because Kansas State, where they may have some inconsistency is depth, bench play. Desi Sills can give you 24 and beat Kansas and also give you a goose egg against Iowa State. You know, Naquan Tomlin, though he's not a bench player, he's a guy that can give you, you know, 14 and 12. Or he can be a guy that gives you eight points on nine shots and doesn't have a rebound. He did not have a rebound against Iowa State. And that also raises another question. You know, K-State didn't rebound the ball well at all at Iowa State. I mean, at all. Eliola did not have a rebound. Naquan Tomlin did not have a rebound. Ishmael Massoud did not have a rebound. And what does Florida do really well? As we just brought up, they're great in the post. Colin Castleton, how do you slow down a guy like Colin Castleton? Well, it's going to be Naquan Tomlin's job. And Naquan Tomlin, who didn't play high school basketball, you're asking a tall task of him. Defending one of the better SEC postmen, one of the better five men in that conference. Now, Florida, if they get into a half-court game, they can keep this one close. But if Marquise Noel's getting out and running, Cam Carter's getting out and running, Keontae Johnson's getting out and running, uh, that's when you could see Kansas State really blow this team out of the water. They'll really extend that lead 10, 15, 20 points in the second half. It's going to be closer than I think people expect, though. Because of that perimeter defense that maybe Florida can have, the post-defense that Florida can have, and maybe the lack of post presence that K-State has. Florida's really going to try to get the ball to Colin Castleton in this game. I can see it hanging around the 60s in this one. But when it's all said and done, I think I'll take Kansas State to top Florida and be one of the winning teams in the Big 12 in this Big 12 SEC Challenge. Very interesting, though, to see uh, how Keontae Johnson plays in this game, though. I am very excited to see how Keontae Johnson, who used to play for Florida before collapsing on the floor a couple years back, will... Or what type of emotion will he have playing this former team? 
Now, will he have a, a memorable game where he hangs 25-28 on him, or will he struggle? No, because there's so much emotion in that game. Does Florida have an answer for a guy like Keontae Johnson? You know, he's a guy they couldn't maintain. You know, once he was healthy enough to play, he entered the transfer portal, and K-State was a team that scooped him up, and he's been their best player so far through these 20 games. Cats, 17-3 and on the year, ranked fifth in the country. They'll take on Florida at 5 p.m. on Saturday before then, of course, heading to Lawrence for round two of the Sunflower Showdown to take on Kansas on Tuesday. Speaking of the Jayhawks, they will be on the road at 7 p.m., or I guess the game tips off at 7 p.m. They're already likely there heading off today to Lexington to take on the Kentucky Wildcats, the suddenly hot Kentucky Wildcats. Kansas has lost three in a a row, have never lost four in a row under Bill Self. Keep that in mind. The Jayhawks have never lost four in a row under Bill Self. And this is a game that doesn't give you much confidence they're going to avoid that. And here's the main reason why. Kansas was awful, like Kansas State, at rebounding the ball on Tuesday. They could not rebound against Baylor. Baylor had a lot of second-chance opportunities. They were bigger than Kansas. And Kansas has never had the size. Right, Their biggest guy in the starting five is 6'7", 6'8". You have K.J. Adams around 6'7". Jalen Wilson around 6'7", 6'8". Grady Dick's about 6'7", 6'8". So you got big guards, but you don't have that true hulking post presence. And what do you need to really handle Kentucky? You need a guy that can hang with Oscar Sheboy, the best big man I believe in the country. A double-double machine. Oscar Sheboy this season is averaging 17 points per game and over 14 rebounds a game. The best rebounder for Kansas, Jalen Wilson, averaging more than seven rebounds a game, actually more than eight rebounds per game. Seven less than Oscar Sheboy. And can K.J. Adams, despite being a a very physical, very strong big man, he's not seen anybody like Oscar Sheboy this year. I mean, it's been truly ridiculous what he's been able to put up uh, over the last month or so. So let's go back to December 29th against Missouri. Oscar Sheboy gave the Wildcats 23-19 and in 40 minutes. The next game, two days later against Louisville, Oscar Sheboy gives the Cats 24-14. and On January 4th against LSU, Oscar Sheboy gives the Wildcats 19-16. and Now, here was the big shock. I, I'd never seen Oscar Sheboy play this poorly. But it was against the now second-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. So in just 22 minutes, Oscar Sheboy gave Kentucky four points and six boards on seven shots. Think maybe he's heading into a rut, right? Uh, not quite. On January 11th against South Carolina, 19 and 12. Against Tennessee, where they won in Knoxville, 15 and 13. Then how about this game? This game sticks out to me more so than I think any player has had this season. Against Georgia at home, in 39 minutes, Oscar Sheboy gave Kentucky 37 points and 24 rebounds. Those are video game numbers. That is the most absurd performance I've seen from a college player this season. 24 rebounds, 37 points on 20 shots. Then only gave Kentucky 7-17 and 17 on January 21st. And then against Vanderbilt, he gave him 15-13. and 13. He's unstoppable. And if Kansas 
can't find a way to put one or two, maybe three bodies on him, he's going to have a 18 to 20 point, 20 point game with 15 to 20 rebounds. I mean, that's just how it matches up against this Kansas team. Maybe you need a guy like Zuby Ejiofor, Ernest Uday, to give you that size down low. But you got to box out. No, Kentucky is not an overall impressive team. They lost to South Carolina as a 20-point favorite Rupp Arena earlier this year. They've gone through some serious hardships. They have not been that great of an SEC team. Oh, they beat Vanderbilt last time out. They beat A&M. They beat Georgia. They were very impressive against Tennessee, winning by seven there. They've got good defense. They held Tennessee to 56. They held Vanderbilt to 53. And it's a Kansas team right now that is struggling offensively. But when they can play through Oscar Shibway, uh, it can be a nightmare scenario for a team like Kansas who doesn't have much size. Now, if you're Kansas, let's just state the facts here. If you have another poor game from Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller, you're not coming close to beating Kentucky. I don't care if Kentucky's number one in the country or unranked, and they're unranked right now at 14-6. and six. If Dewan Harris goes one of five from the field and has five turnovers, you're not going to be winning this game. If Kevin McCuller is subpar defensively, takes 12 shots and makes four of them, I have my doubts. And let's kind of call out Jalen Wilson here. Now, Jalen Wilson's been phenomenal. He has been Kansas's best player, one of the best players in the country over these last three games. But Jalen Wilson scoring 30, 35 points doesn't do it for me because we've seen Jalen Wilson nearly hanging 40, giving KU 18-19 in the first half against TCU, giving you 20-plus against Baylor. It's not working. Jalen Wilson being the sole producer in this offense is not a recipe for success. It's not a formula for success. Even Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson giving you 24 apiece. It's not good enough. It's really not. Because when those guys are the only two that are giving you offensive production, you're going to lose this game. Because you need production from McCuller, from Harris, from K.J. Adams. If those three are silent and in foul trouble, Kentucky's going to win this game by 10 or 12. And Kansas will lose their fourth consecutive game for the first time under Bill Self. Now, it's the perfect scenario for you for the magnitude of the game. You've lost three in a row. You want to right the ship. You need that season-changing win. This would do it. Against Kentucky and Rupp Arena last year, they humiliated you at Allen Fieldhouse when everybody expected Kansas to win that game. You play a Kentucky team that's suddenly hot. You get K-State on Tuesday, Iowa State on Saturday. You beat Kentucky. I've got confidence you can beat Iowa State or excuse me, Kansas State. Then you go into Iowa State on a two-game winning streak, and if you beat Iowa State, you're not back in the driver's seat of winning this conference. It's a very vital, important three-game stretch for this Kansas team. I mean vitally important. And it starts on Saturday night. You can forget about, wash away, wipe away any memory you have about the last three games. All you got to know is you can't play like the way you did the last three games. It can't be Jalen Wilson dribbling the ball and everybody else watching. It can't be K.J. Adams missing bunnies. It can't be Dewan Harris turning the ball over four or five times. It can't be Dewan Harris going one of five, one of six from the floor. It can't be Kevin McCuller taking contested fadeaway shots on fast breaks. 
It just can't be that. You're going to need to shoot a much better percentage from beyond the arc. You're going to have to be better from the free throw line. Kansas has been a little bit better in that area over the last couple of games, but it's not resulting in wins. Now, just because you put focus on Oscar Shibway doesn't mean you can let the rest of the starting five run wild for Kentucky. Right? Oscar Shibway's not the only talented player on this team. Right? He's not the only big man on this team that can do damage. Now, you have a guy like Antonio Reeves, who's averaging 13 points per game. you got Obi Toppin's brother, Jacob Toppin, who's averaging over 11 points per game and six boards per game. You have a guy like Cason Wallace, you know, a true freshman, averaging over 10 points per game, shoots over 44% from the floor. You still have a great point guard in Severe Wheeler, who came over from Georgia last year. You know, he's had a little bit of a dip this year, but still, he is an incredibly fast, quick, and facilitating point guard. Last year, averaged 10 points per game. Uh, just was great in facilitating the ball to all of Kentucky's uh, big men. He pushed the tempo. He was great in transition. He can still do that to you in this game. So you feel like looking at this type of matchup with a lot of guys that can come off the bench for Kentucky, they don't have a platoon rotation, but they've got depth. They've got depth in their front court. It could be a difficult matchup for Kansas. But if you can go back to the days before that three-game losing streak and how Kansas was scoring, it was balanced. You had all five guys reaching double figures. You could get something from Joseph Yesfu, who is somebody to watch here. Bill Self mentioned this week, one guy that is poised for a breakout is Joseph Yesfu. And when he gets going offensively, this team's ceiling can be reached. And anytime Bill Self points out a player that is prime for a breakout, it usually happens. Now, last year... He talked about Christian Brown having a breakout year. It happened. This year in the offseason, he talked about K.J. Adams. We talked with Braden Turner of the Ain't No Seats podcast on 810 on Wednesday. He said he'd heard from multiple people that over the offseason, Joseph Yesfu was one of those guys shining in practice. You have to have bench production, and you got to rebound on Saturday night if you expect to beat Kentucky. So it'll be the Jayhawks and the Wildcats tipping off at 7 p.m. on ESPN at Rupp Arena. We'll see if Kansas can avoid that first four-game losing streak under Bill Self. We'll take our final break of the show. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with some headlines and some fact or fiction. That's next on ESPN Kansas City. We are back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Bypassing the high headlines, the only ones we really wanted to give you is that Frank Reich was now hired uh, once again in the NFL, yesterday, in fact, by the Carolina Panthers. Uh, he was the first quarterback in the first Carolina Panthers game. And that back in 1995, he'll now be returning as the head coach of the Panthers. And the Rams have a new offensive coordinator. They'll be hiring former OC of the New York Jets, Mike LaFleur, to go alongside Sean McVay. But before some fact or fiction, let's get into our three heroes of the game. Which three guys we think will have the biggest impact in beating the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday? Let's start up at the top. It's Chris Jones. Chris Jones has to wreak havoc in this game. There is no way around it. If Chris Jones doesn't have a sack in this game, if Chris Jones is not generating pressure in this game, Joe Burrow is going to be very comfortable in that pocket. I know Frank Clark has been great in the postseason. I know you could have a guy like George Karloftis step up, a guy like Carlos Dunlap step up, but it starts with Chris Jones. If you don't get much from Chris Jones, I have a hard time believing this defense is going to slow down that Cincinnati offense. 
Hero number two in our three heroes list. I am going to go with Legereus Sneed. I think Legereus Sneed sticks with Jamar Chase a lot in this game. And like we've said before, and we got to say it again, if you don't slow down Jamar Chase and he gets upwards of 100 yards receiving, a pair of touchdowns, you're not going to be able to keep up with them offensively. Because if, even if Jamar Chase is getting his numbers, it's likely T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd's getting his as well. So it's no surprise two of the three heroes have to be on the defensive side of the ball. I could go with Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson because they're going to be tested. Trent McDuffie's going to be tested. But I do think Steve Spagnuolo is smart enough to know that you want your best cornerback on that number one receiver in Jamar Chase. Maybe he travels. Now, the Chiefs defense doesn't really like to travel their guys. Steve Spagnuolo doesn't want his guys traveling with one guy. He wants to see a couple of different guys on him from time to time. But I feel like Snead has to be on Chase in this game. And lastly... Key number three, it's going to have to come down to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I know it's kind of stating the obvious here, but it is very apparent that Patrick Mahomes is the key to everything, the key to this offense. I could pick Travis Kelsey. I could pick Juju MVS. I could pick Pacheco. And, yeah, I could give Pacheco an honorable mention because he's got to run the ball very well in this game. I'd expect the Chiefs to try to run the ball early on, especially if the Bengals are dropping eight. But it comes down to what Patrick Mahomes is going to think when he's trailing early on in the game. Not saying he's going to trail, but if he does trail early on, what's the mentality? We've seen the Chiefs go away from the run, and then we see Patrick Mahomes press a little bit against Cincinnati. He's trying to throw the ball down the field. Take what the defense is giving you. If everything's underneath, you can still get chunk yardage. Make it second and manageable. Third and short. I know you're not great in the third and short department, but it forces the Bengals to bring guys back down. It forces them to bring the high safeties back in. You know, you're not having to throw the ball in the double coverage. You know, uh, the main reason the Bengals tried to drop eight against the Chiefs in the first two meetings is because they have Tyreek Hill. You do not have that legitimate deep threat option anymore like a Tyreek Hill. You can still thrive with everything in front. You can use Kadarius Toney. Maybe you can use McCole Hardman. It's going to come down to Patrick Mahomes' decision-making. I have a hell of a lot of faith in number 15, but also more importantly, what that what is that ankle going to feel like on Sunday morning? Is he going to be close to 100%, close to 90%, 80%? We won't really know because we're not going to hear from Patrick Mahomes out of his mouth what he's feeling like. He may just tell you he feels ready to go 100%, but we'll really see how he looks, how he feels when he takes on the Bengals on Sunday. Again, kickoff will be at 5.30, the fifth consecutive AFC Championship game at Arrowhead. We'll see if the Chiefs can move on to their third Super Bowl in the last four years. Now it is time for some Fact or Fiction, five questions, five takes, in under five minutes, Marco Faraway. Fact or Fiction, Willie Gay forces a turnover on Sunday. I'm going to go Fiction on that. The Cincinnati Bengals don't make many mistakes, and I don't see Joe Burrow making a mistake in which he would throw an interception to Willie Gay, and I don't think Willie Gay is going to be in a lot of positions to force a fumble. It could happen, right? That can happen on defensive side. You just go and punch a ball out if you're defending somebody in the flat. I would love to see Willie Gay force a turnover, especially if you're not that impressed with the Bengals' offense, but I feel like it's too difficult to pick one guy to force a turnover. I'll go Fiction. Dr. Fiction, the Chiefs lead by more than seven at halftime. Fiction, it's going to be very close at half where the Bengals are going to be leading. And I think that's okay if you're Kansas City because we saw last year with a big lead, a double-digit lead, they still collapsed. We've seen the Chiefs lead the Bengals by a good amount of points before. We've seen them lead late in the game, and they always find a way to cough it up. It's about are you leading at the end of the game, and can you close it out? That's all I care about. I'll go Fiction. Chiefs will have a big lead at half. 
Factor fiction, if Florida holds K-State under 70 points, they'll win. Fiction on that as well. I just don't think Florida can score the ball that well. Uh, if they can get into the half-court game, it'll be decided in about the final two, three minutes after really going through Castleton. Uh, I don't think K-State's going to be able to stop him. But even if he gets his numbers, I like K-State's offense a lot better because you got that one-two punch of Johnson and Marquise Noel. So give me the Cats in a tight one. Will be a low-scoring game, but even if Florida holds the Cats under 70 points, K-State finds a way to win. Fact or fiction, if Kansas prevents Oscar DeShibwe from a double-double, they'll win. Fact, because I think in the games we've seen Oscar DeShibwe not get a double-double with the exception of, I think, that matchup two games ago, uh, Kentucky's really struggled against Alabama. Uh, they were dominated when he only gave him four points on seven shots. So if Kansas can find a way to limit him on the glass, oh yeah, they'll win. They'll probably win by eight to ten points, so I'll go fact on that. Lastly, factor fiction, Frank Wright has the Panthers in the playoffs next season. If Tom Brady doesn't return to Tampa Bay, that is a wide-open division. But Carolina's not going to have a quarterback. If they go with Will Levis out of Kentucky, I really don't think Carolina's going to make it to the postseason. They'd have to really go out and make some significant moves like the Jags did this last offseason. I think Frank Reich will have him in the postseason in a couple of years because I really like him as a head coach. But I'm not going to take the Panthers in the postseason in 2024. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. You have a great weekend, Kansas City, and we'll talk to you at 10 a.m. on Monday.